been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Oh, yeah. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Sitting here, lounging with Skip. I welcome you all to the to the next episode of the, the podcast. I'm sitting here with a big time actor, director, producer, screenwriter, voiceover actor. A day. <laughs> What's up, what's up, Skip? What's up, everybody? <laughs> I welcome you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks you know for what having I'm saying? me. To, 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 to the podcast, I welcome you to, you know, being able to lounge with, lounge with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, appreciate it. I want to, uh, well, first off, I want you to talk about where you're from and, um, you know, how you got into um, acting. Okay, so originally I'm from a little country in West Africa called Sierra Leone, and uh, my father was a diplomat, which meant I grew up in different countries, um, mostly in Nigeria and Kenya. Uh, And it was in Kenya um, where my love for acting, I guess, began. I was uh, in a play called Bees when I was about four years old, and um, my dad was telling me this, that I I fell off the stage. Um, but apparently I loved it so much I got back on the stage and, mm. and finished the performance. You fell off the stage? Fell off the stage. I had a mask on mm. and um, I couldn't quite see and I'm there like flying around like a bee and I just fell off the stage. Okay. <laughs> and my dad said he resisted all his parental instincts to just grab me and you know and, and hug me and hold me but you know he watched me just basically dust it off and, and get back on and, and finish. And What was, made you want to get up there and start an act? Um, I think just I have that kind of personality. I love to perform. Um, I love to just always be on stage. I um, When I was 12, I did my first uh, feature film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt called The Great Elephant Escape. And, um, and that was, I think, the time when I decided I wanted to take this profession, do this professionally and potentially do it for the rest of my life. So. Okay. So I'm saying, so you were in Sierra Leone? In Kenya at the time. In yeah. Kenya? Yeah. Okay. That's where you grew up? That's where I grew up. Okay. Mostly. So how was that growing up out there? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, we had, uh, well, basically being a Sierra Leonean in a foreign country, you sort of hold on to your... Uh, your roots and, and you know who you are. So the food we ate was mostly Sierra Leonean. Uh, the language I spoke at, at home was Creole, um, which is an amalgamation of English and uh, other Sierra Leonean uh, native languages. Uh, and it just that's you know where I am. That was my culture. But then also mixing that with um, the schooling, and I went to private English school. So a lot of my friends were English, um, German, Israeli, for example. Actually, my best friends were Israeli for the longest time. And uh, when I was 12, I didn't understand why I couldn't have a bar mitzvah. And my dad was like, because uh, you ain't Jewish. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, okay. But it was just, it was such a melting pot of different cultures and people that, you know, it was just, it was an amazing upbringing. It was, mm. yeah, it was amazing. Okay. So this was going on in grade school up until um, junior high. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so all my friends were international. And then, of course, I started doing a lot of plays in grade school and then into high school into junior high also uh in 11th grade there were these um professors that came down from england the london academy of music and dramatic arts 
and they selected the top students in Kenya to participate in what they called a drama development program. Mm -hmm. And I passed with flying colors, mm -hmm. and at that point they said, well, now you need to start thinking about what you want to do for university. Mm. Um, and at the time, I didn't know that being an actor uh, or studying acting was a, was, a, was a viable option for anybody. You mm -hmm. know, I didn't realize you actually have degrees, Bachelor of Fine Arts degrees or conservatory-style programs. And they said, yeah, there's several around the world. You might want to look into that. So. I looked at several universities in America because I knew I wanted to be on Broadway and I wanted to be in New York because I thought that was the, the heart and soul of theater. Okay. And, um, and I came across a school um, called the you know, SUNY Purchase Conservatory of Theater Arts and Film. And I saw that Wesley Snipes had gone there. And Wesley Snipes at the time was my hero. So, so what, said, around well, what year was this? This was in 1999. Okay, so I went. Man, you, you really jumped in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, I, I, so 99, I then auditioned for the conservatory and I ended up getting in mm -hmm. and, um, and and I went there for the next four years. Okay. So you graduated from there? I graduated from there for, okay. with uh, uh, high honors. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're a very smart so they tell me so they tell me and I get it from my dad who was a diplomat obviously so. okay. Yeah. Okay. which was not easy for him because I think you know uh, following the footsteps I have four older sisters who have PhDs in things like political science and you know they're all super smart and being the youngest I was like I want to be an actor and I think at first everyone was, was a little concerned but my dad always tells me this story he said when I was um, when I was I think 10 or 11 I was in a school play and my grades were slipping and, and he took me out of the play and he said, uh, and then the headmaster, the principal at the time called my dad in and said, uh, and my mother, and he said, is there a problem in the family? You know, was the, you know are you guys having problems with your marriage and, mm -hmm. or whatever? And my dad said, no, why? What's going on? And, and they said, well, because uh, something's wrong with your son. It seems like he's depressed. Now, mind you, African parents being told a child's depressed or being called to the principal's office is unheard of. And my dad said, well, I, you know, we just took him out of the school play. And the principal said, for God's sakes, put him back in. Mm. And so they did. My grades improved. I was happier. And that's when my dad said, from then on, he knew that I had to be an actor. Mm. So that's, uh, I still, I still act. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So what was uh, your first, um, I guess, your, so, okay. So what made you move out here to L.A.? So I was only here for a six-week trip in uh, 2004. This is about a year after I graduated from university. And I wanted just to see how things would you know, work out. Just, you know, for me, my heart and soul was in the theater and I had no intention of moving here. And uh, I found a manager within a few weeks of being in Los Angeles. Now how did that happen? Uh, through, I have a cousin out here uh, who's an actress, director, producer, writer, host. Uh, her name is Zinga Blake. And she just introduced me to, you know, she's like, you're a terrifically talented actor. Uh, I want to introduce you to my manager. And um, so she did and the manager just, uh, just signed me on the spot and was like, I love your look and I, I love your work and, and uh, why not work with me? And I said, sure. And now then, I'm saying at this point, what work did they see? So at this point, the only thing they had seen, so I had spent a few months, after I graduated from college, I spent a few months doing a, a mini-series called Whiskey Echo in South Africa. And it was about this um, Sudanese man who was fighting for freedom. Um, and it was a great role, a great showcase for me and, um, and that was the only thing really I had done after university. And uh, it was UK, South Africa, 
a Canadian production. Not many people have seen it, but I did put it on my demo reel. Okay. And so that's what I showed to this manager. Now, now for those you know, up-and-coming actors out there, what is a demo reel? A demo reel is just a compilation of the different work that you've done. Um, and it could actually just be one scene. For me, in my case, it was one really powerful scene in this miniseries that I did. And it was maybe a minute, 30 seconds long. And sometimes that is all you need just to showcase you know, what you can do and your potential as an actor on screen. And that's all it took for this manager to say, wow, I love your work and I want to work with you. So no headshots or anything? Like uh, I did have a headshot, interesting enough. I had, um, so in college, I went to conservatory and luckily there was also the arts conservatory as well. Mm. And so these artists uh, sometimes would tell the actors, look, instead of spending two, three thousand, I remember at the time in New York, it was outrageous how much you're spending on a black and white headshot. Mm. Uh, but she said, instead of spending all this money why not uh, let me take your pictures for free? And I did. Mm. And um, she took these beautiful pictures of me and, and I said, okay, I'm going to use these. So when I had my, when I went to meet with my eight, or my manager rather, uh, I presented my headshot, um, my resume, which only had maybe two things on them mm. and, and some things uh, I must admit I made up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and also this demo reel, which at the time was not on, you know, we didn't have links right. or YouTube right. at the time. It was right. an actual hard copy of a DVD. Right. Uh, no, of a videotape, I think it was at the mm. time, actually. It was mm. a videotape. Okay, so, uh, so it was a video cassette. A video cassette. Okay. I, gave it, I gave her a video cassette. Okay. And she played it and watched it and, was, uh, and thankfully signed me on the spot. And so after that, um, things moved pretty rapidly. She sent me out on a couple of auditions. Uh, I remember the first one I didn't, I didn't book, which made me very upset. Um, but the second uh, one was for a TV show called The Unit uh, with Dennis Haysbert. And this is all within two weeks of being in Los Angeles. Mm. And you already booked something. And I booked The Unit. Mm. Uh, and then the day I filmed that, I got an email from my manager saying, you have uh, an audition the next day for something called Lost. And I was like, what is this Lost thing? And, and so I ran home and, um, you know, printed out my sides and was, you know, <laughs> auditioned for it the next day. And then I ended up booking that. And then I found out that Lost was this huge, epic show that, mm. you know, I, I, I honestly had no idea about. And then after Lost, I, about the, a week after that, I had an audition for Blood Diamond which I ended up booking, and um, and then, of course, I was on General Hospital. Man, okay, hold on, man. So, so it's all this stuff is going on. Oh, yeah, now, all now, this now, within now. a month of right. being in okay, Los Angeles. Right, okay, so if you all, okay, so up-and-coming actors, actresses, you're listening to this story. This guy came out to L.A., a manager liked his work, got him booked. He went in and booked for the unit, or auditioned. He auditioned for the unit. He booked it. The next day after doing that, he went in for an audition for the TV show Lost. Now, Lost was on what network? On ABC. Okay. And how long was Lost on? Lost was on for, I believe, six seasons. It was the highest rated show on ABC for a while as well. And, and which season were you on? I came on season two, um, and that year was the highest rated episode uh, mm -hmm. in 2005. Okay, so explain what your role in, in, in there, that, that way people that are watching or listening to this, they can go back and like, oh, okay. So my role was uh, the role of Father Yemi, which I understood just to be one episode. And um, I remember when it aired sometime in January, almost exactly, uh, gosh, was that 13 years ago? Mm. Uh, it was, uh, the fans loved it. The show ended up getting nominated for an Emmy and, um, and I became just one of the beloved cast members. And I got the opportunity to come back several times um, and play. So Father Yemi was the priest. He was um, uh, Father Echo's younger brother. 
and it just explores the relationship between these two brothers who basically sacrifice everything to make sure the other the other one lives. And um, but the first episode, the twenty third Psalm, would was a very very special episode and will probably be the best um, you know uh, acting work or of show that I've ever done. It's, mm. uh, it was a beautiful show that's very close to my heart. Okay, and so after that, then you auditioned for Blood Diamond. Yes. Okay. Now how was now how was that? Um, Blood Diamond. So Blood Diamond. I remember reading the script and thinking, okay, this is about my people. It's about my country, and uh, it was a movie that I knew I had to be a part of. And uh, and so I auditioned for a couple of different roles. I know they're trying to figure out where to place me, uh, and also because they wanted someone to play opposite um, Jamin Hunt. So I auditioned play. I auditioned to play the main uh, villain opposite Jamin, but um, I was too young. So then they ended up having me uh, play the RUF trainer who was responsible for abducting children and turning them into child soldiers. Uh, so I played this real badass, and I've got like a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now see, if, now see, if you go, if you go and look at the scene. Uh, there was when the kids was around, yeah. and, and you were like, "Get up!" Yeah, you're doing right. all that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, like, exactly. didn't one of the kids shoot the other kid? And I, I make them shoot someone yeah, else. Yeah, he made he made the right of passage. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yes. that's wild. Um, so that, okay, so that came out in the movie theaters, and that came out in the movie theaters. Well, first off, when you when you when you saw yourself on Lost, how was that for the first time seeing yourself on this major network on this this show? You were like, wow! Like, do you remember where you were and how you felt at that moment? Yes, I was in my apartment, and I had my cousin who'd introduced me to my manager um, come over and watch it. and uh, And I think for me, it was just so surreal to be watching something. I got calls from from people I'd never even spoken to um, all of America and eventually around the world because I didn't realize how big of a deal it was going to be until it aired. And um, yeah, and it was surreal to see myself and see how I looked and sounded and because if you know think about it, the last time I'd seen myself was well you know about a year prior to that on another you know smaller show mm. and then before that I hadn't done anything since I was 12 mm. so it was a pretty surreal pretty amazing experience to 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 be a part of that and um yeah and, and yeah now what about when you saw yourself on Blood Diamond? Now that was a whole different story yeah, because now, how was that? so mind you I was recurring on Lost while also you know working on Blood Diamond so I realized for Blood Diamond, I mean, I was like, what, 150 pounds when I was on Lost, and I was tiny, and I was, I was very young, and in order to, for me to believe that I was, uh, you know, this, this badass, huge, you know, evil character, I decided to gain 30 pounds of muscle, mm. and, um, and just watch dozens of documentaries, and interview lots of former child soldiers mm. about their experience in order for me to convincingly for play, yeah, for that role, really? to convincingly play that role. Mm. And so what was interesting was going from, you know, being about 180 pounds, to going back to do another episode of Lost, where I was 150-something, and wow. going back and forth, so that was, uh, that was pretty difficult, but... Uh, that was dedication. It was dedication. It's what you do for your craft. Yeah. So, so how was that working with Leonardo DiCaprio? I- incredible. I remember the first day I got there, I um, I saw him do one of his scenes, and he's bawling his eyes out. And, and at the end, I, I, I walk up to him, and, and he's so gracious. He's such a nice guy, and he holds out his hand, and he's like, Hi, I'm Leo. And I was like, I know! <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Yeah. Just one of the nicest, nicest guys you ever meet. And, mm. and of course, uh, Jaiman Honsu, um, who uh, plays Solomon Van. Andy and Jennifer Connelly, who's also in the movie as well, just just a trio of fantastic, fantastic actors, and uh, also Ato Sando, who is now on Altered Carbon on Netflix, uh, okay. is, was on the, in the film as well. So you went to the movie theater to the premiere. And I, got, I went to the premiere and I got to see everybody and hang out with all my friends who I hadn't seen in because we we wrapped the film I think in June of that year, 
and in July of um, oh sorry in December of 2005 is when it came out mm. yeah. interesting mm-hmm. and it did and it did numbers and it did numbers it continues to do numbers thankfully <laughs> get some residuals out of it yeah, yeah. Now, we'll get to that shortly <laughs> now after that then what so after that I ended up booking um, a show called Heroes um, which was with uh, you, you know a, a bunch of Milo Ventimiglia and, and a few others. Now, what network is that? Was Heroes was on NBC. Okay. And uh, and that was a fantastic experience. I got to do four episodes. A lot of my scenes were with Holt McCallany, uh, who's on a show called Mindhunter at this point on Netflix, and uh, and it was great. It was a great experience. Um, you, I got to really see how green screen works and CGI and things like that. You, because on television, everything so. You, seems so realistic with superpowers and whatnot but you never know what actually goes into it so it's pretty awesome to see you know how when you're rigged up and you're flying across the room you know on ropes and 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 whatnot and then you the green screen it's, it's it was amazing amazing to watch yeah now around what year was this so this was let's see 2007 i want to say okay yeah. okay 2007 2008 okay so when did you audition for battle la so Battle Los Angeles, I auditioned for at a very, very interesting time in my life. It was um, around the time, well, my mother actually was sick with cancer at the time, and unfortunately she ended up passing away. But the day she passed away was the day I had my final audition for Battle Los Angeles. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? And um, But I just remember you know, her always praying for me and wanting me to just to, no matter what was going on with her, to let to let me continue living my life and making sure that I would do her proud no matter what, mm. and so I ended up doing my last audition for her. And then I came back to her and, and watched her pass away, mm. um, and then two three days later I got a call saying that I got the part, which I always think my mother had something to do with, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, but it was a very very wonderful moment, and I dedicated the entire cast um, de- would dedicate the the movie to her every mm. day before we started. We'd say a prayer, you know, that'd be myself, Corey Hardrick, um, Neil Brown Jr., William Rotha, um, Michael Pena, you know, we all were just uh, very, we just dedicated that movie to my mom. So that was in, so we shot that in the fall of 2009. Okay. And it didn't come out until a couple of years later because of, it's so CGI intensive. Mm-hmm. So it took a while for the special effects to get done. Interesting. Because that was when I first, re- this is when I first met you. That's when you first and met me. this is exactly. when I recognized that. <laughs> but, I, but you know, I remember when I, when I saw Battle, Los Angeles. Um, I don't know if it was on Netflix or maybe it was just on regular cable. Mm-hmm. But I was like, why does this guy look familiar? And that's when you were coming into the when I was working at uh, at Twain's shop. Right. Yes. And you were kind of, and then that's when I was like, oh, that's you. Right. right. Um, so yeah. So so that was a good. How was it uh, working with Neo? Oh, and Neo was great. It was. What was funny is okay. So. We spent three weeks prior to filming this film. It took us about five or six months to shoot. Mm. But we spent three weeks doing... Five or six months yeah, to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And including pickup shots and reshoots and whatnot. It was a long time. Big blockbuster films take a long time. Sometimes up to a year. Um, but this one was about five and a half months, I would say. And so three weeks prior to filming, we had a boot camp. And so we'd have to just all get together and pitch our own tents and sleep in one big tent and, and just you know, do uh, PT, which is physical training. Which really was, doing this. We really would do exactly what people in the military would do. So we'd get up at five in the morning, run two and a half miles, really? do jumping jacks, squats, sit-ups, whatever, you name it. 
uh, handle our weapons, 10 minutes for chow, get back, shower for 10 minutes. I mean, it was just crazy. Really? Uh, yeah, it was really, really intense. Wow. Mind you, this was, we did this for three weeks, every day for three weeks. So this before filming. This is before even. filming. And so, you know, you have all these super, like Neo and Aaron, you know, Aaron Eckhart, but Neo surprised me because I, you know, my experience of him was is an R&B superstar. But he was just so humble and just so down to earth, and and you know he'd be the first one, uh, you know, at the top of the line when we're jogging, and he'd just be so in shape, and he took it so seriously. I, I really respected him. And then of course you'd forget that he was a superstar until let's say we'd go to the mall after you know one weekend during filming, and he would just be mobbed by dozens of girls, and and he'd have his bodyguard. I remember thinking one day before we went to the mall, I was like, why do you need your bodyguard? And then when I saw <laughs> how he was mobbed by all these people. I was like, oh, okay, I get it, <laughs> you know. Wow, yeah. wow. So after Battle Los Angeles, then what happened? Uh, after Battle Los Angeles, interesting enough, my career took a little bit of a dip. It was very quiet. I didn't, not, not much actually happened. And then, thankfully, things started picking up. Um, I ended up booking, uh, I started doing other avenues in my career, such as uh, things I like Call of Duty. I did a lot of video yeah, games. Now, now, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so with Call of Duty, you were, they, they used your face. Yes, Call of Duty, they used my entire likeness. Mm. And, uh, and, and which one? Which and this is, well, I, yeah, okay, so I did Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And then later on, I did, uh, they asked me to come in and, and do Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. Mm. So that's my face, my body. It's, it's pretty much me. If you, if you look at it, I mm. play uh, Captain Ajani, who is the head of the Nigerian military. And we had to act out scenes. So it was really like an actual movie. Mm. Uh, you have your prop weapons. You have all these, you know, you're in a what they call a motion capture suit. So you're in this this tight, like, black thing with these, like, lights all over you. And mm. it was pretty spectacular. You have to use your imagination because then later on, you watch the, um, the show and it's just you're in this post-apocalyptic world and all this crazy, amazing stuff is happening. And yeah. Yeah, it was spectacular, and it taught me a lot about CGI, mm. uh, which which I, now I love doing, and and I went on to do other voiceover jobs, um, what like voiceover like Uncharted, um, and I'm currently on a Netflix show, which I can't talk about just yet, but I will in about two or three months. Um, but it's a major show, and I'm I'm playing the lead in it, and a I'm voiceover? also a voiceover, okay. and I'm also in a YouTube TV series um, that's YouTube Red that's coming out soon. That I can't talk about it yet either. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we signed very very strict NDAs, um, mm -hmm. but the the month it comes out, you get to see it because my face will be attached to a lot of the posters. So, mm, <laughs> okay. awesome. so your voice is on that. My voice is on those shows. Yes, okay. yes. Um, so, what about the TV show? Okay, so uh, recently, so a couple of years ago, that's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Uh, no, because kids may hear yeah, this yes, too. Yeah. You know. So I'm on a, 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 a show called This Just In, and This Just In is about a young girl or a teenage girl who comes to this high school and she just tries to adjust to life um, as a teenager in a big high school. And I think it's everyone can relate to it. Anyone who comes from some small town into a big city and has to fit in. Um, I think it's a show that can appeal to young children, to teenagers, and even to young adults. I, I think we all know what it's like to be, you know, a, a, a new kid in, you know, in the block. Um, and, and yes, it was an, it was nominated for an Emmy last year, and we'll see if we do uh, anything with the Emmys this year. Hopefully, we'll get another nomination. I play the character of Principal Pebblesworth, and Principal Pebblesworth is this very debonair, very strict headmaster or principal, 
But at the same time, he wants to be like one of the kids. He wants to be cool. He wants to be hip. Uh, and so he ends up participating in the school play for no reason at all, except because he wants to be a star. So he's not that unlike myself. They <laughs> took McCormack in real life. Uh, but it was, it's an awesome show and, and one to definitely check out. And also simultaneously, and every once in a while, I play, I play the character of Marcus the janitor, uh, who is the polar opposite of Principal Pebblesworth. Gotcha. So working on all these different types of um, uh, uh, projects or, or whatnot, um, you also do your own as well. You also um, produce your own films and things of that nature, and your own music videos. Yes. Talk about that. So in addition to being an actor, uh, one thing I learned, especially during my, so I, as I told you, I, there was a couple of years where I didn't work, interestingly enough. Even though I had a number one movie in the world, I wasn't working. And it gave me some time to reflect because also during that time I had a casting director tell me that in order to play certain characters I needed to fix the way I talk so it goes the way I looked. Uh, meaning that I didn't sound urban enough but because I had muscles and I was a dark chocolate skinned man with a wide African nose, I needed to be more urban, I needed to be more street, I needed to be more... This person said that? This person said that. She said, so you need to fix the way you talk so it goes the way you look. So she wanted you to talk like what? Let me let me hear it. She wanted to talk more street, you know what I'm saying? Like... like <laughs> so that's what she wanted for me. So... <laughs> so um, that's not you. That's not me at all. So, <laughs> unfortunately, um, and uh, but it taught me. So she told. So you she. To, in fact, she actually did a line reading for me to to copy it. I was like, that's no, 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 that's not going to work. And so I quickly learned if I wanted to play the doctors, the lawyers, um, and if so, if no one was going to give me those opportunities. Mm. I need to do them myself. Mm. And there's no excuse for you not to in this day and age. You have iPhones, you can shoot films with your iPhones, yeah. you have cameras, you have Canon 5Ds. I mean, anything. We have so many things at our disposal and so many avenues. You've got YouTube, you've got Amazon now, you've got all these, you've got Facebook where you can shoot something and show it on some platform. Mm. And so I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've now been working for 20 years as an actor. I've worked with a couple of Academy Award winning directors. I know how to direct, I know how to produce, I know how to write. And so I ended up writing my own material. My first um, film, the, the first web series that I wrote and directed and produced uh, was, um, it's, it's called Me Plus One. And it's about, it's based on my cousin's life and it's about a woman who's trying to navigate through the industry um, as a single mother and also trying to get her career back on track in a time where it's about how many followers you have on Instagram and likes you have on Facebook and whatnot. And, uh, and so that, after doing that, and I used to play, pretty much play myself <laughs> in the show. And we have four episodes of that. We had Neil Brown Jr. in it. No, um, no, no, where can they see this? You can see it on YouTube. You can see the first three episodes on YouTube. We've had to hold back on releasing the last two simply because we're in negotiations with networks about having it be produced on, uh, into a TV show. So okay. we cannot, unfortunately, release the last ones. But you can actually watch the, watch the first three episodes online. And they're on YouTube. And the name of it is called On YouTube. What, Me Plus One. Me, Me Plus One. one. Yeah. Okay. And it's a great, great comedic show. Uh, just and you directed it. I directed it and okay. I produced it. And I also started in a couple of episodes um, so it's just a great comedic look at single parenting and okay. also what it takes and, and the village that takes to raise a child you know so it's you know we try and uh, make sure that you know we try and give a message that single parents should not be alone and if you are um, you know if you're in a position to help or if you're a godparent like I am to my goddaughter 
it, all it takes sometimes is saying, hey, I'll babysit this child for, you know, X amount of time while you go and try and find a job. So right. it's loosely based on my cousin's life um, and, and the experiences, the comedic experiences we've had over the past uh, few years raising um, my goddaughter, my niece. Uh, and then after that, I, uh, I was like, okay, well, I can, I can direct. And so I, then I, di I directed a music video right. um, by the artist Quibena Darkwa, and it's called October 96. Mm. And it is also sort of autobiographical. It's about the loss of his mother, uh, the 20th anniversary of the loss of his mother. Okay. And, um, and it's just a beautiful video, uh, cinematic experience of his life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's also on YouTube. If you just Google October 96, you get to see it. And uh, we're actually now submitting it to a bunch of film festivals. Someone had inquired if I was doing anything with it, and I said it was mostly just to put online and, um, and, and then also eventually uh, put on iTunes. But, um, but now we're submitting it to festivals because it's very cinematic and it looks like a short film. Okay. Um, and then after that, I ended up uh, writing and producing and directing a, um, a film called Irish Goodbye about a Syrian refugee who comes to Los Angeles to escape persecution. And um, we've got lots of great feedback from that as well. And it's now doing the festival circuit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so you, I mean, so do you feel the freedom? You feel the freedom of actually creating your own content more so than working as an actor for others? Well, y yes and no. Um, there's a lot more pressure that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's the only thing. Uh, when you have, when you're producing, you're directing, it's you, a lot of the time I'm putting up the capital as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so then I come up with constraints. If, you know, I can't have a big, massive explosion, <laughs> you know, right, right. If, because I don't have the $10 million to right. do that. So, so things like that, that, that I find challenging. But on the plus side is I can create whatever character that I want and, and be the character that I want to be. Uh, for example, the next film that I'm going to be directing is called Tetekembe, The German King. Mm. And it's about a Cameroonian freedom fighter who um, basically rises up against the German invasion of Cameroon and is accused of treason. And it just follows his life as he rebels and how he ends up becoming a martyr for his people. And it's such a beautiful story about like, this king that nobody knew about in history. Mm. But I think that Africans specifically need to know, especially having been called S-H-I-T-H-O-L-E, mm -hmm. you know, being told that we're not mm. worthy and whatnot. And it's like, no, we come from kings and queens, and I right. could not be happier that, you know, movies like Black Panther now are being made, because that does echo who we are, and it does echo our culture as Africans, and ties us with African-Americans, because African-Americans also need to know their history mm -hmm. and know that they're descended from kings and queens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Black Panther, from what I'm seeing, is going to be a great movie. Yes. Um, what's a role that you wanted to be in that you just didn't get the opportunity to be in? Oh, uh, well, I always say, I always say not yet. Um, there, there are a lot of roles that I've auditioned for, and, and this is just how it is being an actor, when you're like, oh, darn it. You know, I, I wish I auditioned for that, or I, uh, you know, I, I wish I had thought of that character, whatever. Um, the character that I've always wanted to play is one that I've decided that I'm going to produce, I'm going to direct and star it. Um, and it's called, um, it's, it's based on Samuel Coleridge Taylor's life, the character Samuel Coleridge Taylor, who if any of you, if you don't know who he is, he was a composer that lived 
uh, in the late 19th century, I think from 1888 to 1915, I believe. Mm. And he was the equivalent of Mozart in his day. And not many people know about this man. He was a black man, an incredibly talented composer. Really? And he was half Sierra Leone and half English. And once again, you know, history has made us forget these people mm. who were of color. And I think it's important to recognize that no, people were not just slaves or some right. sort of it. It's like right. you had people who were megastars, right. who were influential. As Samuel Coleridge Taylor, for example, is a big reason as to why we have residuals and royalties today. Really? Because he died, yes, he okay. died penniless. And, um, and what the king of England at the time did was say, in order for you've created all these works, uh, which are amazing, we need to make sure there's something, uh, there's something in place where we can give you something in perpetuity. Well, after he died, he gave it to his wife. So his wife had money um, in perpetuity, mm. be, you know, based off the work that he was able to sell. So um, now, now speaking of residuals and royalties, yes. <laughs> so as a as an actor, how does an actor sustain themselves um, while in between jobs, um, which is based off residual? How does that work? Well, so this is the thing. As an actor, it can be very, very tough, as we all know. And I always tell actors, especially upcoming actors, if you can have a second, third, or fourth job, definitely do, because not many people are that lucky. Like I, I remember the last day job I had was right after college, and I was a telemarketer and calling, and I hated it. But it was really, really hard, but it paid the bills. And I was very fortunate when I came here to then start working. Um, almost consistently now for the past 12 years. So you haven't worked a regular job in 12 years? In 12 years, years. no, I haven't had to, mm -hmm. uh, thank God. Um, but what's in place, and this is something that we have to keep fighting for, is residuals. Um, and this is why, I don't know if, uh, for those of you who are sag after members, and if you don't know what that is, it's the union all actors are part of, we are always campaigning to get an increase in our union, in our um, residuals, because that's what we live off of when we're not working. Mm -hmm. And there are times when, you know, you hope it's only going to be a few weeks between, between work, but there's one time I didn't work for almost three years. You didn't work at all for I didn't work years. at all for three years. And what kept me going was my residuals. Really? Yeah. So thankfully, we can make a pretty penny from residuals, mm. but that will only happen if you work more. And the problem is a lot of the producers and whatnot are not are trying to, you know, for example, even in, in voiceover and video games, as much as I love video games, mm -hmm. there's no actual residual structure in place to make sure that we get paid more money. Just imagine well. if you got residual money off of video games. Right, you know, something that makes, let's say, uh, Captain... Made, uh, made up over a billion dollars its first weekend, I believe. Which one did? Um, Advanced Warfare. Made so, a billion, billion dollars, yeah. The week, so, first weekend? First weekend, I believe, or the first week, yeah. So you're looking at that, if that was in a, if that was a movie, I would, you'd be a millionaire. <laughs> so in residual, so just things like that, you gotta start thinking of. Um, and we're really trying, this one of the things I advocate as, as someone who's an actor in the union is trying to get more residuals for, uh, or an increase in residuals for actors, especially when it comes to things like video game and, and new media. So how do you make that happen? Uh, just campaigning and also sitting in uh, the roundtable discussions we have with our representatives uh, and always just paying attention. Whenever we have uh, gatherings with the union, you have to show up and make your voice heard. Uh, so we, I, for me, I do that. I did a lot because I only became a citizen recently and I was like, how do I exercise my democratic right? Mm. And that was to talk to my union and my representatives and see what can be done to help other people. You know, it's not only about the individual, it's about the whole. You right. look at, especially our union, the top 1% 
um, if, if only 1%, I think, of our of people who are SAG-AFTRA are able to comfortably make a living off of this. 99% of people cannot make a living off of acting. Wow. So we have to make sure somehow the wealth is also redistributed amongst the rest of us. And also there's a residual structure in place to keep people going, you know, during the times when they're not working. So where do you see yourself um, in the next five to 10 years in this business? Oh gosh, I see myself doing what I'm doing, but just to the maximum effect. I want to be directing, producing, six, seven figure budget, um, you know, films. I, I want to do, I just opened up a production company called Loma Mansa Productions. So yeah, because you also do um, Broadway. So tell them about the play that you did, um, it was about a couple of months ago. Yeah, so I just, um, we, did a, we did a play called The Dreamer Examines His Pillow for a couple of months. Uh, we started off um, at the Hudson Theater and we're hoping to actually go elsewhere later on. But the play originally was written for a white Irish-American man. Mm. And the director, he said, I just, I don't know. I, I think we should hire someone who's black. And why can't we hire, for example, Adi Tokoba McCormack? And he called me up and I was doing a movie, um, a Netflix film at the time in uh, Ohio. And I was like, I just, I, I'm the oh, kind yeah, of actor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just the kind of actor <laughs> who I like focusing on one thing at a time. And, and he sent me the script. And I remember reading the script and thinking, oh, this is for a white guy. I can't do this. And, and, he, and I gave him all the reasons why I couldn't. I said, listen, I'm a black man. I'm from Africa. I have a strange hybrid of an accent. Um, I, I just, I don't really identify with this character. And he said, for all the reasons you outlined, I think those are the reasons why you should do this, this play. And, and he said, Ade, how often do you complain that you never get roles like this, that are multifaceted, that are fleshed out, that are robust? And I said, you know what, almost never. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so when I came back to LA, I sat with him and I said, yes, I will do it. And it was, it was terrifying, but uh, we got rave reviews across the board from Los Angeles Dramatic Critic Circle to the LA Times, um, and they all love it. And so we're probably going to come back for a little extended run um, in a couple of months as well. Now, so, now yeah, talk, talk about that movie. It was a horror movie? I did a horror movie called uh, Confessions of an Exorcist, and I play an exorcist, and that's going to be coming out in a few months on Netflix, and I believe in 45 different cities and theaters. So mm -hmm. I have to see it in theaters, which will give you the full experience, or see it on Netflix as well. We don't have exact release date uh, okay, yet, it's but it's come sometime this year. Yes. Confessions, Confessions of an Exorcist. And I, I play um, I play an exorcist okay. from Nigeria, and uh, it's a great. It's a. I just imagine. I'm trying to think. Like it's like Bad Boys meets Men in Black meets The Exorcist, uh, <laughs> if you can imagine it. Okay. And I play um, one of a, a couple of lead characters in it, and it's a lot of fun. It's very, very, very intense, mm -hmm. very scary in parts, but but a lot of fun. It's a wild ride. So in the next five to ten years, you see yourself. I see myself producing my own material um, and doing films, for example, like the Samuel, Col Samuel Coleridge-Taylor uh, film, and just bringing to light obscure, um, unknown uh, stories mar about marginalized people or heroic figures that, we, that history's forgotten, and bringing those to light and either playing them or getting someone else who's worthy of playing them, and just making these people's voices heard. What is something that you can tell an up-and-coming um, actor um, or actress, you know, that, that that wants to move out to LA to, you know, chase their, their dreams as, as and, you know, as being an actor, um, or even someone that's out here in LA that's sitting at home, like, you know, about to pack their stuff and head back. What is something that you can tell them to kind of keep them focused and 
you know, something that if, if you could tell your if you could tell yourself was that thirteen years ago, fourteen years ago. Yeah, it's actually you know there's a quote that I just read today. Okay. Um, I'm gonna see if I can bring it up if you bear with me for no, a that's second. Fine. Um, well, a, we over here chilling, lounging with Skip. There was a young lady who passed away, a, a famous designer in in Sierra Leone, uh, who a lot of us knew, adored, and loved. And um, and there's this quote that she has, and I shared it, and I'm going to I'm going to read it out to you because okay. I think that explains my sentiments exactly. Um, Make sure you all go back and listen to the other episodes, um, okay. previous ones. <laughs> yes. All right, today. Um, so here's here we go. This is what she said. I wish I could go back and meet my younger self to tell her that in life. No condition or situation is permanent. Whether it is good or a bad thing or situation, time will come and go. Things will change just like the seasons. Take heart and never stop pursuing your dreams. In fact, dream bigger dreams for yourself and work hard to pursue them. And as you pursue your dreams and you face obstacles and challenges, the highs and the lows that come your way keep in the back of your mind that no condition is permanent. Get comfortable behind the wheel. But don't get complacent. Adama of Adash I shall be designed. Hmm. So that's the advice I give. That's the advice you give. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, how can uh, you know people reach you uh, if they want to book you or anything like that? If they want to you know. If you want to reach out to me, um, follow me on Twitter at Adetokumbo, uh, which is my full, <laughs> which is always a challenge for a lot of people. Uh, so it's A-D-E-T-O-K-U-M-B-O-H. So that's at Adetokumbo. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at at Adetokumbo. Okay, so that that's that's that's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah, and I will respond. I always do. <laughs> so, I respond. Yeah. Hey, Adai, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I thank so you much for, having me. for coming through, lounging with Skip. You know what I'm saying? Until next time, the next episode. Peace. <laughs>